Hello comrades and welcome back to Marxist Voice, the podcast of the international Marxist tendency in Britain. The latest aggression by the Israeli state against the Palestinian people has provoked a wave of protests across Britain. Meanwhile, we've seen a full display of the odious hypocrisy and lies of the British ruling class and their politicians and media mouthpieces. Living in Britain, it's easy to feel powerless about the occupation of Gaza and the daily terror that's inflicted upon the Palestinians. But we do have more power than we realise, provided that we get organised. So in this talk, given an IMT members meeting in East London last night, Khaled Malachi answers the question of what we can do as communists here in Britain to fight for a free Palestine. We would also recommend listening to this podcast alongside the most recent episode of the International Marxist Radio, the international podcast of the IMT and you can find the link to that in the show notes of this podcast. You can also visit our website, socialist.net, for regular updates on the situation in Israel-Palestine, as well as reports of what IMT activists are doing on the ground to build international solidarity. As always, if you're a communist and you want to get organized, then you should join the international Marxist tendency. You can find the links to join, donate, and subscribe to our newspapers using the link in the show notes of this podcast. And with all that said, let's get started with this week's episode of Marxist Voice, the podcast of the IMT in Britain. Well, comrades, if you believed what you read on the news, what impression would you be left with? I think you'd be left with the impression that an unprovoked attack has been launched by Hamas, one of merciless aggression, and that Israel is simply asserting its right to defend itself. Now, this is a tried and uh, tested formula that the Western politicians and the media outlets resort to time and time again. Think back just two years when there was a bombardment of Gaza, a brutal bombardment that led to hundreds being killed, when hospitals were bombed, when children were left under the rubble, and when no concrete was supplied to rebuild the country. What did they say then? Hamas rockets have provoked a justified response on the part of Israel. So of course, we have been here before many times. And the mainstream media, uh, in particular the BBC, are moving heaven and earth to uh, conceal the real reasons why this incursion actually happened. They present it as if it was a bolt from a clear blue sky, stripped back from any context whatsoever, stripped back from the suffering of the Palestinian people. And this puts all the more responsibility on communists to ground the events that are taking place right now. We must first and foremost understand the nature of the struggle or we will get lost in this or that secondary matter. With the propaganda machine in full swing, we must make sure that we don't fall to bourgeois public opinion. Now, if you take a step back from the conflict that is taking place right now, every single time there is an escalation or a war is declared, what do we see from the West? Our so-called free media rushes to the defense of the so-called democratic Israeli state. Now, history may not repeat itself exactly, but it certainly does rhyme. Just look at the response of Western politicians, of Sunak, who was at a synagogue yesterday giving his heartfelt messages to the Israeli people, or to Starmer's statement, they come out unconditionally on the side of Israel. <clears throat> and in this regard, Sunak and, uh, and Starmer are like two peas in a pod. 
they have made their position absolutely clear that they are on the side of the oppressor, they are on the side of the occupation, they are with the Israeli ruling class. But despite the Israeli flag being projected onto Downing Street and hoisted above most government buildings you can find in the West, this is not washing with the working class of the world. Millions can see through the hypocrisy of these ladies and gentlemen in London, in Washington, in Paris, that have no qualms with the occupation, with the daily oppression, with the ethnic cleansing. And why would they? Because they don't care about the poor or oppressed, either at home or, uh, or abroad whatsoever. And so the working class are once again taking matters into their own hands. And as the demos have shown so far across the world, internationalism continues to course through the veins of the solidarity movement. And these demonstrations, though the war is very, uh, very early on, have been sweeping far and wide. We've seen uh, demonstrations from London to Montreal, from Ramallah in the, in the West Bank to Beirut, uh, from Damascus all the way to New York City, showing that the fight against imperialism has assumed uh, a mass character. And instead of leaving it to the paid politicians and their media lackeys to point the direction forward, millions are looking for a way forward outside of these channels. So the first task of communists is to understand what has led to this incursion, what has led to this recent bout of bloodletting. And I would say we are alone in our sober analysis of what war is. We understand war to be a continuation of politics by different means. So the everyday oppression, the occupation, the grinding poverty of the Palestinian people has once again made war inevitable. In fact, in my opinion, it's a surprise that it didn't break out sooner this year. And just look at what has happened um, when Netanyahu has relied on this government of crooks and cronies over the past year. We've seen a raid in Janine of a res refugee camp, which was reduced completely to rubble. We've seen the executions of uh, Palestinians out on the streets in defending themselves against the settlers. We have seen pogroms in towns such as Hawara and a bombardment of Gaza back in May um, <clears throat> under the auspices of counterterrorism. And I would say it's no exaggeration to describe the Israeli government at this moment in time as one of the most reactionary governments the country has ever had. In order to clutch onto power, Netanyahu has had to reach out and lean on uh, some of the most reactionary settler fanatics that the country has ever seen in a, in a cabinet. These are figures like Ben Gavir, uh, like Smotrich, who have said that their aim is to wipe out the Palestinians from the land. They've stated this over and over again. And at a recent address at the United Nations, Netanyahu said after the normalization talks, which now have been scuppered for a period of time between Israel and the Arab world, the map of the Middle East will look like this. And he put up uh, an image which saw Israel encompass the whole of historic Palestine. So what is this but a direct provocation of the highest order? And also off the back of this government being elected, uh, this shaky coalition, we have seen the settlers go on the offensive throughout the whole year raining down on Palestinian cities, storming the Al-Aqsa Mosque and defacing it, and bulldozing districts in Jerusalem and across the West Bank. Now, this is the background that the British state 
does not want to give you. In their opinion, this is not worthy of the news cycle, which I think should tell us everything about where their priorities and where their interests lie. But to be honest, you have to go back a lot further than this year to really understand the basis of the conflict. For a real understanding, you have to, of course, go back into the past. And now it has been 75 years this year since Israel was proclaimed. And the Zionists treat this as a cause for celebration, as does the West. It was celebrated back on May 14th in this country. And one euphemism they talk about is a voluntary transfer of people. People simply left uh, where they lived and, uh, and Israel was proclaimed. But of course, this is a complete fairy tale, uh, fairy tale. Instead, what we saw was a campaign, a ruthless campaign at the hands of the Zionist forces that saw 531 villages raised to the ground, 11 uh, entire districts bulldozed and 700,000 Palestinians expelled from the land. And just to put this into perspective, that's half the population of, uh, of Palestinians living there at the time. And in the run-up to May uh, 1948, when Israel was formed, we saw massacre after massacre take place at the hands of these Zionist forces. And there was exemplary ma massacres, uh, such as that in Deir Yassin, where they tried to strike fear into the heart of the Palestinians and make them run for their lives. And something to bear in mind is these Zionist forces, what would go on to become the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, were actually trained by the British army in the 1930s when they were fighting to put down the Arab revolt. And for these people, the guiding principle was by any means necessary, that of the Stern Gang, of the Haganah, of all of these terror organizations. Now, this is not something up for debate. This is part of the historical record. And you can, in fact, find the minutes of these meetings with David Ben-Gurion, the founding father of Israel, writing out in letters of fire and blood these commandments to the Jewish, uh, to the Jewish commanders to uproot the Palestinians from their land in a forceful way. Now, obviously, 75 years on, the reality on the ground is very different today. And we have seen a massive expansion of, uh, of, of the Israeli settlements. And this has happened through two mechanisms. The first has been a steady increase, a steady encroachment. And this has usually been done through uh, the, the, the manipulation of the legal laws, all with the uh, approval of the Supreme Court, I would add. We have also seen it, it happen under the, uh, under the cover of war, which has been a significant factor in occupying certain parts of the territory. And everywhere you look today, Palestinians are reliving Uh, the experiences of their ancestors. There are clear echoes to the Nakba, to the mass expulsion, uh, wherever you look <clears throat> throughout historic Palestine. And I want to make the point very clearly that none of this would have been possible without the West. The US massively subsidizes Israel and views it as its stable ally in the Middle East. And as we know, The United States is never concerned about high-sounding democratic principles or humanitarian ends. It is interested in its own imperialist uh, wishes and imposing them on the rest of the world. This is what comes first and foremost. And it, of course, lays waste to vast swathes of the planet. In doing so, it creates a hell on earth and calls it peace. And really, Britain... The record of Britain is second to none in many, in many ways. We've seen the, the British after the First World War 
cynically uh, promote the idea of a Jewish homeland. And uh, this was through the Balfour Declaration, encouraging migration to Palestine, whipping up division amongst the peoples and uh, brutally putting down resistance in the process. And so ever since the creation of Israel, we have seen Britain silent on the right of return for the refugees. And we've seen it silent as well on the low intensity warfare that takes place on a day-to-day basis. And I would go further than that. Britain has done everything short of pulling the trigger. And you can see this actually by the the links to the arms industry. Since uh, 2015, Britain has licensed uh, $442 worth of arms to Israel. So this is the real backdrop. And I think this should make one thing very crystal clear for us as communists. This is a struggle of an oppressed people for a homeland against an imperialist, oppressive regime. And so there is no parity whatsoever, and the blame cannot be put on both sides. Now, I want to focus a little bit on what this incursion represents, because I would say it's a massive humiliation for the Israeli ruling class. They've been caught off guard temporarily, and it's far more humiliating than surprise attacks that have happened in the past. Even that of uh, the Egyptian incursion back 50 years ago. And uh, though the, the, uh, the recent events and the war frenzy has papered over the cracks within the Israeli ruling class, it has been a massive blow to them. And we have seen some dissident voices even pointing the finger at Netanyahu and his government. And this is a development that we need to monitor closely. But this was totally unprecedented. Israel's entire southern military and security apparatus crumbled in the face of a few hundred Hamas fighters. And what did it prove for ordinary Palestinians? That the Zionists are not invincible and they are not all powerful. And this action, you can expect to see a a wave of enthusiasm around it temporarily, at least, regardless of what Palestinians have come to think of Hamas, which has certainly not been favorable in recent times. And now is not the time or the place to talk about the limits of this or that action. It's the time to speak about what is on the horizon and what has already begun uh, to get underway. And that, of course, is a brutal retaliation. I have here a quote from the Israeli defense minister who yesterday said, I ordered a full siege on the Gaza Strip. No power, no food, no gas. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals and we act accordingly. And comrades might have seen that they have imposed a blackout in Gaza at this moment in time to try conceal the massacre that is already underway. And already the media in the West is doing the legwork for the, uh, the Israeli regime and, uh, and making excuses for its murderous spree that is, uh, that is truly going to wreak havoc on, uh, on this open air prison. And they parrot the same lines as Netanyahu as well. They talk about Israel, uh, Israel destroying the, uh, the terrorist infrastructure. But really, this is a crude euphemism that they use. What they're talking about realistically is bombing Gaza back into the Stone Age and meeting out collective punishment on its people. Now, Netanyahu on Sunday promised a reaction like no other. And he said that he would reduce the whole of Gaza to rubble so people should consider leaving. But the question we have to ask is, where are these people meant to leave to since it's been under a brutal blockade for the past 16 years, which has made life completely intolerable? A blockade that has not been upheld just by 
the so-called democracies in the West, like the United States, like Canada, like Britain, but also by the so-called friends of Palestine as well, the Arab nations such as Egypt. And the ruling class in Israel really controlled the matter of life and death of ordinary Gazans, starving the population routinely under the auspices of security, with military checkpoints and towers, keeping two million civilians, not terrorists, civilians in this open-air open prison. We should also be reminded of the fact that this is one of the most densely populated parts of the world, which is routinely subject to aerial bombardment. The Israeli ruling class have a euphemism for this. They call it mowing the lawn, which of course lays waste to all key infrastructure in, the, in one of the most poverty-stricken parts of the world. And today I saw the UN had, uh, had put something out saying at least 200,000 Gazans have been internally displaced due to the Israeli airstrikes so far. This is how many days in to, to the conflict. So please bear this in mind when we hear a hue and a cry about Palestinian resistance and when, uh, the, when the media talks about who fired the first shot. Because clearly the people to blame for this is the Israeli government and all of those that have rushed to the defense of, uh, of its actions. Because despite what they say here in the West, Israel is not a paragon of democracy in the Middle East. It is one of the most reactionary nations in the Middle East. It is a racist, corrupt, capitalist state that bases itself on the oppression of the Palestinian people. And it bases itself on the ideology of Zionism, which will not be satisfied until Israel is for the Jews and the Jews alone. And directly provoking this conflict has actually been something that the Israeli ruling class have relied on repeatedly, especially in the last couple of years, due to the extreme crisis of capitalism affecting the country. Back in 2018, they, uh, they introduced the Jewish nation state law, which essentially um, it uh, enshrined discrimination into the letter of the law. We've also seen many different provocations of Trump recognizing Jerusalem as the undivided capital of Israel and so on and so forth. Communists need to know how to respond to the lies in the media. And as we often say, in war, truth is the first casualty. Something we hear very often is that Israel has the right to defend itself. But how does Israel have some unquestionable right to defend itself from the Palestinians whose territory it occupies? To even pose it like that is to show how absurd this position is. They've also been speaking very loosely about hostages, uh, especially in the United States, and when many of these people are actually political prisoners. But the West would bear, uh, bear well to remember how many hostages were taken during the First Intifada in the years of 87 to 93. It was hundreds of thousands of men and boys that were maimed and killed, and the West did not say a peep. They also talk a lot about terrorism. But these hypocrites better think back to 2018, when there was a peaceful demonstration in Gaza, which was mowed down by live ammunition. Where was the hue and cry there? That's what we have to say because these voices say nothing about the systematic brutalization of the Palestinian people, of how they unleash hell 
on the Palestinian people on a day-to-day -day basis. And they've had no issues with all of the operations for the last 75 years that had no pretext of any rockets being fired. This is really hypocrisy of the highest order. And uh, for the chorus, this deafening chorus that says, condemn Hamas, stand with Israel, what they are actually saying is that all the violence used by the Israeli Defense Force is just and fair, whereas any form of resistance on the Palestinian part is a crime. So communists really need to be raising these criticisms, whether that be in the schools, in the workplaces, on the university campuses. And we must have one thing clear, that we have no faith in the so-called international community in bringing about uh, a solution to this conflict. Because just think about it this way, how could the international community that has the biggest record of destabilization and devastation in this part of the world play the role of a peacekeeper in any meaningful sense? It means asking the enemies of the oppressed to come save the day, to come save the oppressed people, those being the Palestinians. And it really relies on this idea that imperialism can simply uh, you know, have a nicer face it, uh, it can grow a conscience in some kind of a way. And uh, all of a sudden, all of these nations will come together and decide that actually the, the occupation is a bad thing and uh, it should be put to bed. And we also need to have no faith in institutions like the United Nations with regard to this. How many resolutions have been passed? How many condemnations of the actions of Israel that are just ignored and flouted by the US and Israel itself? Now, I've heard a lot of talk about peace and de-escalation from reformists on the left. And this is a trap that some on the left continue to fall into time and time again under the pressure of public opinion. And we have to be clear on this point. This war is a result of peace on Israel's terms. It's as clear as that. The occupation and the increased occupation since the Oslo Accords has been the bitter fruits of imperialist peace. Because every peace process has not been in good faith. It is not aimed for peace. It's aimed for the pacification of the Palestinians. And the Oslo Accords are a very good example of this that were signed 30 years ago and stand for nothing. This was meant to be the joint path between the Palestinian leadership and the Israelis to uh, a path of peace and prosperity between the peoples. But it was nothing of the sort. Israel flouted pretty much every single main commitment of that accord. And the Palestinian authority, which was formed, it was seen as some kind of government in waiting for the Palestinian people, has become the office boys of Israeli imperialism. And they are reviled by the youth, by vast waves of, uh, of, of people in the West Bank and, uh, and the Gaza Strip. So in the Oslo Accords, there is a cautionary tale for those that want to see uh, a solution to this problem. Trying to find a reformist solution to this through roadmaps, through summits, through the goodwill of the United States, <laughs> through consensus building, in reality perpetuates a state of no solution whatsoever. And so we really should not hold back on these pacifistic phrase mongers whatsoever that opine about how bad war is and then revert to making appeals to the bourgeois, to bourgeois democracy, because this confuses the issue entirely. No masterstroke of democracy or diplomacy will bring about an end to this conflict. And the solution does not, uh, does not lie in repartitioning Israel-Palestine. 
there's no fair line in the sand that can be drawn. I mean, it'd be a ridiculous uh, attempt to even try do uh, to try make a line in the sand at this point. Or, uh, for that matter, is it about devising the most perfect legal institutions to rule over both people? There is no solution on a capitalist basis, whether that be one state or two state. Even if this were to be drawn up in the most conceivably generous way to the Palestinians, this will solve nothing. Because as long as Israel remains an aggressive imperialist state, it will continue to negotiate in bad faith and demand peace on its own terms. And when we look seriously at the problems of national oppression of the, the conditions of the Palestinian people, we will see that although it does have its roots in history, it is made particularly acute by the crisis of capitalism. And that's why we say only a socialist revolution to bring down the entire rotten edifice of capitalism in the region is what, uh, is what is needed. And so we stand for a revolutionary solution to the conflict. Now, Marx once said that war is the midwife to revolution. And in this situation, it is no different. There is social instability in the entire region across the whole of the north of Africa as well and in, in Iran as well. Um, we see revolutionary developments are implicit in this situation, which is why we need to be emphasizing at this point mass struggle and looking back on the heritage of the Palestinian people. And what heritage do we look back on? We look back to the intifadas, which uh, in Arabic it translates to, to uprising or shaking off. Um, <clears throat> and the first intifada broke out in, in 1987, 20 years after direct uh, Israeli occupation. And it saw the, uh, the Palestinians rise up with a, a, a wave of demonstrations, strikes, riots across the West Bank, across Gaza, East Jerusalem, that lasted for years and years. And in this, we saw the youth take over neighborhoods, shopkeepers closed their stores in Jerusalem, and the Palestinian working class refusing to work within Israel. And this uprising, what did it lead to? It led to tens of thousands of, uh, of self-organized committees springing up, resisting every aspect of the occupation. And so mobilized was a force encompassing hundreds of thousands that were openly defying and resisting the power of the Israeli state. And it severely weakened uh, the Zionist regime by making ap appeals to the poor, to the oppressed, and so on and so forth. And this is why we put forward this slogan of Intifada until victory. And this is what we need to be explaining positively at demonstrations. Because of course, yes, there is widespread disgust at the Israeli state, at everything that they say and do. There is, uh, there is distrust of everything that, uh, that people read in the media and so on and so forth. But our program must go beyond this. It must be bold. It must be revolutionary. And what we must say is until all of the dictators and the despots are overthrown in the Middle East, and that includes the Arab states as well, that are co-responsible for the oppression of the Palestinians. They use it very cynically in their countries as a political football. Then there will be nothing but misery and bloodshed in this part of the world. And this leads me on to another point, which is the, the solution does not lie within historic Palestine necessarily. It depends upon the class balance of forces and the revolution in the entire region. And so the Arab masses need to rise up against, uh, against their own dictatorships in their countries in order to really support the Palestinian 
movement. And we've seen very similar movements. We see very often massive outpouring of sympathy on the part of uh, the oppressed in the region. And that's why we put forward this perspective of a socialist federation of the Middle East and a socialist federation of all historic Palestine. Because realistically, this is the only way of guaranteeing autonomy, freedom, jobs, housing, security to both the Jewish people and the Palestinian people. That is not based on any form of oppression. It is the only way of solving the festering problem of the right to return for all those displaced and dispossessed. And uh, this, of course, can only be brought about by overthrowing the Israeli regime, by uprooting the menace of Zionism itself. And it's the only way to avoid a second Nakba, which is what more and more in Israel voices are calling for that want to turn the region into a bloodbath or even more than a bloodbath than it currently is. So it's by pointing towards this revolutionary heritage of the Intifada that we present our way forward. Now, what can communists do here in Britain? I think the first thing is to really understand this position and to be able to defend it. We, of course, denounce the Tories and Starmer's labor at every opportunity we can. And what do we use to do that? We use our own paper, our own workers' press, as a way of cutting across all of the lies and distortions that you find in the, in the media. We need people to read our analysis, to meet up with us, discuss the ideas on campus, in schools, in workplaces. This is, of course, the best way to undermine the propaganda of the establishment, which is relentless at this moment in time. But of course, having the correct approach or the right ideas doesn't mean anything if it doesn't connect. So we need to connect these uh, ideas to the movements that are, are forming uh, right before our eyes, the massive demonstrations that are taking place, and use this as an opportunity to call out the British state. Britain is not innocent in this, either historically or until present day. And we do this by putting forward our bold slo slogans. Now, I would say it's the job of communists and e uh, to support and even to lead activity that raises the consciousness of people on this question. So how does that relate to colleges and schools? Well, we are not taught the real history of this conflict in schools whatsoever. It is whitewashed time and time again, and there is a lot of anger that is forming in schools because of this. We're not taught about the Sykes-Picot Act, uh, the agreement that was made, I think it was drafted here in London, that has led to the destabilization of this, uh, this part of the world. We're not told about the real history of any partitioning, uh, whether that be in Palestine or elsewhere, and how the British ruling class mastered these dark arts and exported them across the world. And so we should be saying, tell the truth. This is British history. Britain is responsible for the, uh, the, the situation we find today. And students can pass resolutions and talk about motions, bring people on side and, and raise their sights. And raise this, of course, with staff on the campus in order to uh, lead to, to some kind of coordinated action. There are walkouts, occupations, rallies that could be taking place on, across campuses uh, around the UK. And there is precedent for this. Back in 2008, 2009, there was a whole wave of occupations at universities in support of the Palestinian people. And I think given the situation and all of the anger and ferment within society, it's very likely that things like this will open up and the communists need to be leading these interventions. Now, workers can obviously mobilize and take militant action themselves. We've seen dockers block arms shipments 
across the world very recently. Actually, two years back, um, you saw the South African dock workers block armaments meant for Israel. And Britain has a proud tradition of this method as well. Um, when, uh, when the coup was taking place, uh, Pinochet's coup in 1973, you had Scottish workers refuse to work on uh, anything that would be sent back to the military junta up, uh, up in Glasgow, I believe. And we've also seen recent developments like this around Europe as well. In Genoa, in Italy, the blocking of armaments from being sent to Saudi Arabia. Now here in Britain, engineers can prevent the manufacture of these weapons. Lorry drivers can prevent the shipment of these, uh, the transport of these weapons. And media workers can refuse as well to print the lies and distortions of the bosses. So we are in favor of workers' boycotts because they raise consciousness. It makes the working class aware of its power and its strength uh, and the role that it plays within production in a far more effective way than any kind of individual boycott could dream of. If you're in a trade union, you should pass motions in solidarity with the Palestinian people and encourage the, uh, the TUC to do a similar thing. Just think, we made a storm at the UCU conference by putting forward a class independent program on the, uh, on the question of Ukraine. And we can do a very similar thing. And what we did was strike a chord with people that are sick and tired of the lies they read every single day. Now, all of this is what communists should be doing. But what ties this together? It is building a revolutionary organization. Most of all, we need to overthrow capitalism here in Britain. We need to overthrow our own imperialist government. Because bringing about a socialist revolution in Britain, putting a workers' government in power and having an internationalist foreign policy would be the best way to the Palestinian people to show solidarity. And in order to do that, you should join the IMT today.